Well, good morning, everybody. If you can't tell, I get a little bit into that commitment thing because I just think it's a cool thing. It's, it's, it's one of the times of the year. I mean, we, we do it around, you know, New Year's resolutions, right? But it's during, so we do it around this time of year. But it's one of those things where we take our faith, the things that we say we trust, and we try to put some action to it. And, and all the things we ask you guys to commit to are things that are good for you. Can we all agree to that? Right? If you could pray more, you'd see more miracles done in your life. You'd see more things happen in your life. It would be an incredible thing if we start going to God first instead of to ourselves first. If we'd be more in his world, we just we would remember, wouldn't we, that God's got us, that he's working all things for our good, that he strengthens those who are weak, that he, that he heals those things that are going on in our life, those past events that we can't seem to be, overcome, that he forgives, right? It's an amazing thing when we start applying and trusting those things that we know. That's when we start getting the good stuff of God, and the same is true with giving. And so I get all kind of geeked up about it, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about temptation and, and how to overcome it. And, and so I'm going to start with this verse. It was on the screen just a little bit ago, but it says this, happy is the man who doesn't give in and do wrong when he is tempted. For afterwards he will get a, as his reward the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. It comes from James 1 verse 12. Now, James is just saying here that one of the keys to happiness in life then, right, is being able to say no to temptation. Now, just I want you to think about that for a second because when you are tempted, what is it that you're tempted to do? Something that's horrible, it'll be miserable and you don't ever want to do it? Is that what you're tempted to do? You know, no, Satan's saying this will be fun. You should go try this. I mean, let's go do this just for a little bit. Nobody will know. And then afterwards, everybody's screaming, I'm just going to find out, right? But the reality is we, we do things, we're tempted to do things that we think are going to be fun. So why is James saying that one of the keys to happiness in life is avoiding temptation? It's because of this reality. That when we're tempted to sin and we give into it, and we give into that sin, sin and just one of the, the realities of life is sin necessarily causes negative consequence. It necessarily complicates our life. It necessarily brings with it destruction and all sorts of things. And if we're lucky, it doesn't happen immediately and it gives us a chance to turn. But sin always brings with it negative things. It destroys relationships. It complicates situations. It's a destroyer. That's what God wants to protect us from. And if you could just, maybe a way to look at the Ten Commandments is it's not a bunch of to-dos. It's that God knows these things have negative consequences and he so desperately wants us to avoid them for our own good. And so that's why James says if you could avoid complicating your life, bringing destruction into your life, losing relationships, all those kind of things, you're gonna be happier. That's why he says happy is the man who doesn't give in and do wrong when he's tempted. But maybe the big question is how, right? This whole series, if you weren't here in the first week, derived from a, a youth group that I had way back in the day. And I asked the group one time, if you had one question that you could ask of God, what would it be? And we collected over 100 responses that day. And, and this was one of the top four questions that they asked. And they asked it in different ways. But how do I say no, pastor, to temptation? Temptation is one of the world's oldest problems, isn't it? This happened way back with Adam and Eve in the garden when they ate of the fruit. Oscar Wilde once was quoted as saying, sometimes I can resist everything except for temptation. And I think we've all felt that way at different times in our life. It's just a reality. And I do want to distinguish one thing. The Bible does talk about two kinds of testings that we experience in life. And one of them I'm going to talk about next week. One is called trials. And those are things that are designed by God to bring us closer to him. We're going to talk about that next week because I think there's a lot to say about that. The other is temptations, which we're going to talk about this week. 
And they are designed by the devil to bring us away from God, to take us away from him. All right, so next week we're going to take a look at trials. Today I want to take a look at the reality of temptation and how we can resist it, how we can overcome it in our own lives. So as we go to Scripture, God actually gives us a lot of things to consider this morning as we think about this topic. And one of the first things he asks us to do is just to be realistic. I know we live in a postmodern world where people kind of make up stuff as they go, but there are certain ultimate truths, certain realities in life that we just have to deal with. And one of them is just simply this, you are going to be tempted in this life. That's why James says, when you are tempted, not if you are tempted. And so we'll see, it's like with the problems and trials that we'll talk about next week. Temptations are just an inevitable thing. But I also need you to hear me this. It is not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to temptation. But it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted, the Bible says, in every way that we are, but he never sinned. But I think this is important because I'll hear it a lot from people. I think there's a lot of Christians that walk under this sense of condemnation because of the temptations that they feel. They, they think, how in the world could I have ever thought that thought? Maybe I'm not even a Christian. No, you're just human. Satan tries to confuse. He tries to get you to think that up is down and, uh, and down is up and all sorts of different things. So one of the first things that you have to just come to grips with is you've got to be realistic about temptation. And, and the closer you go to Jesus Christ the more Satan's going to try to tempt you away from him. People who say, I, I never experienced temptations are, are doing one of two things. They're, they're either trying to deceive themselves, and we see that a lot in our culture today, or they're trying to deceive you. So one of the first things that Scripture just asks us to begin with is this reality that temptation's real, that it happens to everybody, that it happens to Jesus. It's just one of the things that come from the fallen world that we live in. The second thing scripture says, and it's a hard thing for our culture, I think, in a lot of ways, but you'll recognize it, and it's this, be responsible. In other words, accept responsibility, don't blame other people. In verse 13, James says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. He's saying, we've got to accept the blame, the responsibility, to not blame everybody else for everything. And it's not just for our temptations that come from our desires, Right? But it also comes from the sins that happen when we give in to the temptation. And it's also the complications and the destructions that happen after we give in to the sins. We live in a culture where everybody likes to blame everybody else for how bad their lives are. But the reality in counseling, half the time you're just trying to help people see that part of the reason they're in this mess is because of the sins that they're involved in. If you could take away the sins, stop doing them, do something different, this all gets better. That's part of the world that we live in. People don't want to accept responsibility, and if they don't accept responsibility, they can't go to Christ and be forgiven, right, for the stuff that they've done. They don't go to God's word and find the better way that God absolutely has to protect us. And they stay mired in this stuff that's always somebody else's fault, and they never get out of it. We live in a culture that's just struggling with their own stuff because they don't see God's truth because they refuse to accept responsibility. One time, Will Rogers said there were two great eras in American history. First, there was the passing of the buffalo. Now, there's the passing of the buck. And it's true, we live in an age of irresponsibility. I came across this penis cartoon a few years ago, and I think it just kind of talks to today. The red-haired girl is calling Charlie Brown on the phone, and she's sitting back in a beanbag chair, and she says, If I fail this test tomorrow, it's going to be your fault, Chuck. We talk too much on the phone. Charlie Brown is on the other end. He says, but you're the one that keeps calling me. Next frame, 
You shouldn't answer the phone, Chuck. You shouldn't answer the phone. I think that's typical of our societies today. We're almost conditioned to blame everybody else for our struggles, for our sins, for our problems. A few years ago in the Orange County Register, it had three headlines in it that I just thought were interesting. First headline, new terminal is 14 weeks off schedule. Builders say it's not our fault. Nuclear site accused of dumping in the creek. Employees say it's not our fault. San Bernardino pipeline reopens after blowing up. Inspectors say it wasn't our fault. It's typical. We so desire to blame somebody else because if we're always looking outward, we don't have to look inward. We have a society that tries to deal with all the outward stuff that we possibly can. So we have airbags and cars and we wear helmets when we ride you know, bicycles and we do all this stuff to try to protect the exterior stuff. When inside, we just don't touch it. And that's what people are struggling with desperately in our culture today. And so we blame. We blame our problems on the government. We blame it on society, our parents, heredity, anybody that we can see that can maybe take it off of our plate. When the reality is, and this is again, is one of those ultimate truth things that talks about it in scripture, I probably cause most of my own problems. To be honest, I am my worst problem. My wife would probably echo that, but, but the reality is, I'm my worst problem. It's not her, it's not you guys. I, I'm my worst problem. I, I'm my worst enemy. I cause more of my problems in life than anybody else. And if I can own that, then I can repent that and I can change that and I don't have to stay mired in it. We've got to be responsible. Second thing Scripture says. Then he goes on in Scripture and he says, okay, so now that you've got that responsibility and that just being real thing, he says this, you've got to be ready. The Bible says each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed, so don't be deceived, he says. James is saying here that you just got to be prepared for it. You've got to be on your guard. Temptation doesn't warn you in advance. Satan's not going to pick up the phone and say, hey, I was thinking about tomorrow about two. If that works for you, I'm going to tempt you. He just doesn't do that. Why? Because when we're caught off guard, we're more susceptible. Think about after something great happens in your life. I think after a great success, we're the most susceptible. The Bible even says, let he who stands take heed lest he fall. I read about a guy named Bobby Leach just kind of as an example of this. He's the guy who went over the Niagara Falls in a barrel and somehow miraculously survived it unharmed. It was just extraordinary and it was in the papers and all sorts of stuff way back in the day. This is also part of the true story. The next day, he slipped out an orange peel and he broke his leg. He was quoted as saying, it's the little things that get you, you know? You need to be prepared. And so how do you prepare for temptation? I think that's the ultimate question. And the scriptures say you prepare for it by understanding it. And the wonderful part is, is that there's common temptations, and if there's common temptations, there's also common solutions to those temptations. In fact, the only good thing that you can say about Satan is that he is super, super consistent. He's still using the same old tricks that he used way back in the day. He's been using for thousands and thousands of years, and he uses a very definite process. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says this, In order that Satan might not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. And so we must understand how he works. And there's always a process here. And the process is always the same. And he plays, and this is the process, he plays on our desires and then he deceives us. James says each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed, which is why you get different temptations than I do and I get different temptations than you do because we all have our ultimately different desires that Satan plays on. But once enticed and deceived, he goes ahead and tries to move us to sin. 
And sin leads to disobedience, which ultimately leads to destruction and complication and ultimately death and Satan's victory. You see, you have to understand Satan's game plan. He has a purpose for your life, and it's to destroy you. It's to take you away from God so that you don't get to spend eternity in heaven. That's his game plan for you. Anything he can do to take you away from trusting God, he's going to do. Hence the commitment stuff that we try to get you to, to, to pray about and think about it and ultimately commit to God. Anytime Satan can get you away from trusting God, you're not going to experience the peace or the strength or the hope. You're not going to even experience the freedom that comes from the forgiveness that he gives you because you're going to still be mired in that doubt. Satan's amazing at how he tries to trip us up along the way. And so my call to you guys, God's call to us all the way through Scripture, is to trust him more. That's where the good stuff comes from. And so Satan always does this temptation thing in the same way. Why? Because it's worked so well for him. Like the old saying goes, if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. But the hard truth about temptation, and I think the truth that we have to deal with, and we've talked about it a little bit already, it's this. That sin has its negative consequences for us. To be fair, and somebody was talking about this with me the other day. Okay, I get that, he, he said, Pastor, but, but doesn't God say we have the freedom to do whatever we want? Well, Scripture gives us, I mean, God gives us the freedom to do whatever we want, but once we choose, we are no longer free. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example of that. I could ask you guys to go to the top of the Empire State Building, and to be honest, I am free to choose to jump off that building but once I choose, do you see I'm no longer free? There's certain laws that take effect, the law of gravity being one of them, right? I'm free to choose, but once I choose, I'm kind of captivated to that choice that I've made. I could say 50 floors down, somebody could ask me, hi, hey, how are you doing, Pastor? I'd be like, so far, so good, just enjoying the ride. And I think there's a lot of people living their lives like that right now. But the truth is, they just haven't hit bottom yet. There's a cause and there's effect. You cannot sin and get away with it. Just one of the, the ultimate truths that God has wired into this world because of sin. You reap what you sow, and eventually you will hit bottom. Did I break the law of gravity when I hit the ground? No, it broke me. Do you break God's laws? No, they break you. That's what he's trying to protect you from. God loves you guys so much, and he wants you to go through this life as uncomplicated and as peaceful and as hopeful and as full of strength as possible which is why he warns us to avoid at least those top 10, right? James says if you want to handle temptation, and we're all tempted, everybody's tempted, we're all in the same boat, and we're all common to man. If they're all common to man, that means that there's common solutions. And when you know they're common to man, here's another thing that happens. You can quit trying to wear a mask. I think that happens in church a lot. Maybe not this church, because you guys are pretty real, right? But, but in a lot of churches you go into, everybody kind of smiles, and how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, you know? I mean, everybody's just happy, you know? Nothing's ever bad in their life, you know? But we're wearing a mask. If you can acknowledge that temptation happens to everybody, you can quit masquerading, because you realize that everybody has the exact same temptations. It's kind of liberating once you realize that everybody else is as messed up as you are, right? I mean, is everybody else is struggling with the same kinds of stuff. You go to a small group and you realize, hey, you know what, they're struggling with the same things I am. I heard a mom one time tell me, she goes, you know, and she was just sharing this deep, dark secret. She says, you know, I'm afraid I'm, one day I'm gonna kill one of my kids. She goes, does that just make me abnormal? And I says, no, it just means you have preschoolers or high schoolers or some kid in between, right? But, but there was just the fact that you're worried about it means you're never going to do it. 
And for her, it got rid of that great big boogeyman that was going on inside of her, right? This thing that Satan was using just to mess with her and mess with her and helped her realize that these are just kind of normal thoughts that kind of flow in and out of our subconscious as we're going through life. The reality is when you share it with somebody, all of a sudden it's not this big thing anymore. One of the most powerful sermons I ever heard was the pastor said, look around, he says, realize that everybody here is messed up. I'll just say to you today, everybody here has temptations. Everybody here has thoughts that run through their mind that just make them kind of sick because they can't believe it just went through their mind. Everybody's tempted to do some just vile and horrible things. Everybody. And if you realize that's just Satan trying to mess with you and that you don't have to give into it, it gives you power to overcome and it gives, takes away one of Satan's tools to say that you're somehow more susceptible than you should be. So, now that I've talked about being ready and the reality and the responsibility, I'm going to give you two of the hows to overcome. The first one that God gives us is to be refocused. Some temptation begins in your mind, then changing your mind is the key to overcoming temptation, to refocusing, turning your attention from the lie into the truth. James is talking about the devil and sin and temptation, and then all of a sudden, verse 17, he kind of transitions, and he says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. It's like all of a sudden he shifts gears, right? One minute he's talking about temptation. The next minute he's talking about every good and perfect gift that comes from God. He's saying if you want to overcome temptation, then you need to redirect your thoughts. Change the mental channel. Change your mind. Get into his word. Change what you're thinking about. Refocus your thoughts from a lie to the truth. That's the point. Refocus on what's positive, not on what's negative. So instead of focusing on what you don't want to do, focus on what you do want to do. I'll give you an example of that. There was a sweet lady from my last church, and she would always drive her, uh, her car to work this one way. And I don't know if it was poor traffic design or whatever, but it just was one of those things where people were just shooting across lanes of traffic all to get in the left-hand lane so they could get onto the freeway. It was bogged down during rush hour. People were cutting each other off during rush hour, and she would get road rage. And if you'd ever meet this gal, you'd think, well, she, she's too sweet to get road rage, but she would just get so mad. And she, she'd say, I find myself like, like following this car, you know, just I don't know why I was following the car, but I was just so mad that they just cut me off and, I, and, and almost hit my car and all these different things. And she said, Pastor, I don't know how to get over this this feeling. I, I don't want to experience it anymore. And so I said, well, have you thought about trying to go a different way to work? She goes, no. So she did. Guess what? No more road rage. She avoided the whole situation that was making her upset, that was tempting her to get into that rage. She avoided the whole thing, took away Satan's power, and never experienced it again. Sometimes when we're looking at something on the computer, you just got to get up and walk away, Right? Or, or if, you're, if you're tempted to say something hurtful toward your child or, for your, or toward your wife, to just take a pause and take a walk around the block, right? Sometimes the best thing to do is just to get out of the situation, to redirect your thought processes, because that's the key to overcoming temptation. It's the principle of replacement. Summarized in one sentence, it's this, whatever's out of control in your life, and I don't know what's out of control in your life, but you do, and God does, don't keep fighting it, but instead simply turn your attention to something else and it will loosen its power and its grip on you. The second that lady stopped going this way to work, what happened? That temptation for road rage just disappeared. She avoided the thing that was tripping her up again and again and again. 
Some of us need to relook at life just a little bit to avoid those things that keep tripping us up. So the Bible doesn't teach resisting temptation. The Bible teaches resisting the temper. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But resisting temptation only makes it worse. Instead of resisting, we need to refocus. Change your mind. Mentally leave the situation. Whenever you ignore something, here's the psychological truth, you, you weaken it. In fact, if you're paying attention to this point, I'm giving psychological power to deal with a lot of things in life, but specifically temptation, which sometimes means physically leaving the scene, getting up and turning the channels, going a different way to work, walking out away, running, getting out of there. If you don't want to get stung, guess what? Get away from the bees, because when you ignore it, you weaken it. This is not an issue of what do I want to do, it's simply I need to refocus. Guys, as you go through life, you're not victims to the things and the sins that you guys fall into over and over, the things that keep complicating your life, keep ruining your relationships, keep making things more frustrating. God says, you can follow me. I always make it possible. But when he provides that out, you need to take it. Second part of the how is this, being reborn. God has chosen to give us birth through the word of truth. This is the most important key to breaking a bad habit. The term rebirth is simply to be reborn simply means to have a fresh start in life. Like God gives, takes this big whiteboard, right, and he writes all of your sins on it in, in black marker. And pretty soon there's no more spots, so that whiteboard just looks like a blackboard. And then all of a sudden, because of Jesus, he comes and he takes an eraser and he wipes all of it clean. Even takes a little, you know, spray so you can't even see the old stuff. He just takes it completely clean. No more sin. So that when you get to heaven, he said, about all that stuff on the board, he's going to be like, what board? You're forgiven. You say, well, God can't forget all that stuff. God can't forget anything except what he chooses to forget, and he chooses to forget your sin when you confess it to him. Do you, do you get the freedom in that? It means that you don't have to beat yourself up for the past anymore. That God's forgiven you. I, have you ever had somebody say, I forgive you, in a, in a way that was really meaningful? You thought they would never forgive you. You've been groveling or whatever it was to try to make it right, to try to make it right, and you thought you'd just have to live with it forever, and they said, I forgive you, we're good. There is a freedom and a permission to start reliving life as normal, right? God says, I want you to forgive yourself for the past because I have and start living your future freed from that. It gives you a renewed strength, a renewed ability to just deal with life as it comes. Even though there's no such thing as heaven, I think it'd be worth it just to be a Christian to have a clear conscience, to be able to walk out of here and say, I no longer have to feel guilty about those things of the past. But Jesus is just saying this, you need that rebirth because you need more of God's power in your life. You know, every once in a while, I'll have somebody that come up to me who visits our church and um, they don't have a church background for whatever reason, but they'll say, you know, I love listening to your pastor. I, I love how applicable you are. I love the stuff that you say, but why do you keep talking about this Jesus guy, right? And the simple answer to that is because I don't give you any hope, any power, any strength to overcome, to change, to do anything if I don't talk about Jesus. Because he is the author of all those things. As we place our trust in him, he's the one that gives us all the good stuff, right? To change our lives, to overcome our past, to give us strength to face new things, to reconcile relationships. God is the God who loves you and wants to be with you and wants to help you and wants to forgive you in this life. And my prayer this morning is that you would let him. 
And just like the commitment series that we've been doing, to trust him for more in your life. And all God's people said, amen. Let me pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the questions of those kids, but also just for our questions, Lord. I, I think there's so many times that we just want to ask things, and, and my prayer is that during this series, we're able to kind of address some of the things that have been on our heart for a while. And Father, when it comes to this area of temptation, just may some of these truths that we've talked about today just give us permission to realize that we're not weird and that we're being tempted. <laughs> that it's just part of being a follower of you and that Satan doesn't want that at all. But Father, also help us, give us a sense of your power to overcome that, of your promise that you'll always provide a way out when we're enduring temptation. That with Jesus, there's a strengthening and there's, there's a power to resist and to overcome. That with your word of truth, there's actual things that we can count on, promises that we can rely on that help us get us through. Father, remind us that you've got us. That's our prayer today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.